Hey guys and welcome to the show. In this first episode I had a chance to sit down and chat with a mate of mine, Jason Fitters. I had a ton of fun recording this episode. I was a little nervous at first with it being my first one and all, but I actually reckoned it turned out pretty great. Jason, apart from being a super nice dude, is also an extremely interesting man. Having previously worked as the player welfare and education officer for the Brisbane Broncos Rugby League Club, as well as running a program called Battling the Blues, with an aim to raise awareness and educate people around the issues of mental health. Jason is currently the Redlands Campus Pastor for Gateway Baptist. In this episode, we dive into his life story and talk about a variety of topics, including sport, faith, education, and mental health, just to name a few. Jason is a real-life example of someone striving to be the greatest they can be by following their passions and dreams. And I just want to say a huge thank you for listening. It means the world to me that this is my first episode and that people would actually listen. So thanks so much. I really hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Good luck. <laughs> I always say your name wrong and Danny picks it up. I say Fidesz because it sounds cool, but is it Fidesz? Look, it does sound cool, but it's not Fidesz. What is it? Definitely then? not. It's Fittis. Fittis. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah, that's what Danny always says. But I, I've always said Fidesz and no matter how much I try to change it, yeah. this is what happens. It's because of that E. Yeah. F-I-D-D-E-S. If you ditch the E and put an I... Fitters. Fitters. Yeah. Yeah. As long as it's not fiddles, fridges, <laughs> feces, anything like that, yeah. I'm cool. I'm cool. <laughs> All right. I'm probably going to call you Fidesz the next time I see you because that's our role. <laughs> Captain then... Alex still calling me Fidesz and we've been <laughs> yeah. working together for like a year now. So. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> that's good. Mate, I was trying to figure out where I wanted to start this conversation and I thought, what do I know Jason does the most or likes the most? And whenever I look at your Facebook, it's always sports related. So I wanted to start off with sports because I think that's a, a mutual interest we both have. And uh, what I was going to ask you, when do you reckon the f- was the moment that you first sort of fell in love with sports? Man, I've been loving sport, I reckon, for my entire life. Uh, growing up in New Zealand, um, the All Blacks were huge. The New Zealand cricket team was huge. So if I had to put a like a year on it, mate, I reckon I would have been, uh, mate, I, I reckon four, five. Yeah, wow. I have a vivid memory of uh, of an All Blacks match, yeah, and uh, some great All Black legends, yeah, um, and yeah. Next thing you know, I was in the backyard kicking the ball around. Um, but cricket was also another favorite sport of mine as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a little too skinny and soft to play rugby, so I went to the uh, I know the feeling, the soft sport. <laughs> okay, I'm not mate, I'm not saying any comments no, there, no. <laughs> but um, yeah, so from a very young age, mate, rugby would have been my first love, yeah. Um, but cricket was a close second. Is that just because there was always sport on in the house? How did that start, do you think? Um, well, New Zealand is a is a sport loving country, mm. um, and you know back back in my day, as old people like to say, <laughs> um, you know there, there wasn't a whole lot of you know technology and devices and all that kind of stuff around. You know, phones were still connected to a wall by a cable yeah. and stuff like that. So we're outside a lot. Um, and as I said, the All Blacks were huge. You know, and everyone loved the All Blacks. Everyone loved New Zealand cricket team. Um, 
So, um, yeah, New Zealand's just a sport-loving country. Everyone was outdoors anyway. Uh, I was in a small town, and if one person was out on the street, then everyone else would go out as well. So, um, yeah, I just think it was the way, you know, my country and my town was back in the day. They just loved it. People were playing it all the time. Um, So... Yeah, you just naturally get drawn to it. What um, what town was that? So is it is North Island or South Island? Yeah, all right. So we're in the North Island, okay. city called Wellington. Oh, yes. And yeah. a little town called Wainuiomata. Wai- Give it a go. Go Wainui- on. Wainui- what? <laughs> Wainuiomata. Well done. Wow. And I bet it doesn't look anything like that written. Is uh, it, does it look like that written? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So W-A-I-N-U-I-O. M-A-T-A. Yeah, wow. Wainui Omata. There you go. Yep. Wainui Omata. That's it. Yeah. See, it's just rolling day. off the tongue now, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, that's interesting because um, I've I've been to the South Island but not the North Island. Okay. And this is just a random, I don't know why it's popped in my head, but they was on one of those game shows the other day and they said, what's the capital of New Zealand? Yeah. And what did you say? What did you think? I said Auckland. Yeah, right. I, but I feel like everyone would, most people would say Auckland, but yeah. Wellington would be the one. Yep, it is to this day. Yeah, there you go. So what? So we're talking about, so when you you grew up in New Zealand, how long did you live in New Zealand for? Uh, so I lived there until I was 12. Till you were 12. Yeah, which was 1988. Yeah. I'm guessing you would be 12 in year seven. Yeah. What did that look like? Just sports mad, things like that? Pretty yeah. Much? yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, sadly, um, I must have been nine or ten years of age. Um, I had a car accident. Wow. And um, crushed a vertebrae in my spine, the T12 vertebrae, which actually floored me. And I was in hospital for an extended period of time, blah, blah, blah. So after that, the sports that I had to choose were were non-contact sports, mm. not very physical. Um, it would have been heartbreaking. Yeah, it was. It was. So I was playing a little bit of rugby. I made a joke about being soft earlier. Yeah. But, uh, I was a good little halfback for my school team, um, which was uh, a school called Glendale Primary School. Glendale, okay. Um, so I was a good little halfback, but after the car accident, I kind of had to pull out of rugby and I started playing cricket. But even that took... Uh, you know, took its toll because there's a lot of twisting and turning in cricket. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, around that, that yeah, 12 years of age mark, um, yeah, it was uh, heading into, yeah, year year seven or whatever it was and was loving cricket. Mm. Um, and the move to Australia was on the horizon Yeah, pretty much. What, what prompted the move to Australia? Oh, look, um, uh, my mother who um, had – had split with her uh, her her husband a couple of years before that. Um, yeah, it just felt like it was time for a change, and she wanted to come to Australia and mm. um, and go to Bible College. There's uh, one here in Brisbane that she was keen on. Yeah. Okay. So um, I think you know every, everything was just lining up, you know, for a, a new start, yeah. something different. Um, let's go to Australia. She can study Bible and, and know Jesus more because she was a follower of Jesus uh, at that point. Um, yeah, and that's uh, that's what she decided to do. And yeah, it was tough for me when I was twelve. Yeah, um, leaving friends and things like that. I yeah, imagine. I had a really good mate back then, and uh, I remember the last Sunday at church before we made the move. 
um, he wouldn't get out of his uh, family car because oh. he was pretty upset. It was a really emotional time, but I remember it so clearly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was a big gig for me, and um, yeah, I'd have to say the first year in Australia was was an eye opener. Mm. Um, what but, about it was an eye opener? Do you think? Oh, mate, like, well, for starters, I had this I had this understanding of Australia. Well, this idea of Australia being like this big outback country town, like the whole country. That's what I thought it was. <laughs> Where we ride down the street on kangaroos. Exactly. And, thing, and yeah. wearing a Cuba hat. <laughs> yeah. So just, just a funny quick little story. <laughs> in preparation for our move, I demanded that mum buy me an Cuba hat so I could fit in. <laughs> Seriously. So we got to Australia and, and we went shopping. We didn't actually buy an Cuba, but we brought a, uh, a brimmed hat that to me looked like an Cuba because yeah. we didn't wear those kind of hats in New Zealand that yeah. often. So my mum, um, yeah, bought me this hat, um, which I understand now was poor parenting on her behalf. Um, didn't but, do the research sort of thing. No, that's right. We didn't really look into this concept of what Australia was like. But I got this hat, first day of school, walked into the school grounds with this hat on. I had people staring at me. There were other kids who were wearing like caps, you know, yeah. Australian cricket team caps and stuff. And, um, yeah, I had a few people uh, call me some names, day yeah. one and two and yeah, ten at school. tough, definitely. Yeah, it was, but it was, you know, with hindsight, blooming funny. Yeah. Come on. Now. Yeah, hilarious. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, outside of that, it was just making new friends and it is a new culture. The weather's different as well. Mm. Um, mate, I got hammered with mozzies the first oh, yeah. year and um, I used to get like these really big, um, you know, Bites that would swell up, and I couldn't walk and stuff. Wow. You know, just you must be like allergic or just yeah. I, I don't know maybe. if they were just like different mozzies. Yeah. I'm not sure if they change from country <laughs> to country. Probably and, um, everything in Australia seems to want to kill you. So. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'd say I'd say they're probably different. Yeah, I reckon. But you know, after you know three to six months, like yeah, the mozzie bites were good. not an issue. Yeah. But anyway, just some weird stuff. <laughs> Whereabouts was that? Did you when you moved from New Zealand, did you move to Brisbane? Yeah. Yeah. Um and we moved into a suburb called Thornlands, oh, which yeah. is five minutes up the road yep. from where you and I are sitting right now. Yep, yep. Um so nineteen eighty eight, uh February the fourteenth to be exact. Yep. Um, was the day we moved to Australia. Uh we moved into Thornlands yep. and uh I have pretty much lived in, in the Redlands, which is the city where you'd find Thornlands. Yeah. Um, if the I explain Shire. that correctly, the Shire, <laughs> yeah. which is now a city. Yeah. And we're thinking about to, uh, calling it a coast. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what's going on there, but. So what's the, I'd, I hadn't heard of that. So what? Yeah. So we were a Shire. Yeah. We moved to a city and um, there's this big push from people in council um, to rename us the Redlands Coast. Mm. There's no waves, though. <laughs> no. Yeah, true, true. Um, At least the Gold Coast has got surf. That's correct. Yeah. I don't know what the thinking is, man. No. I got no idea. Let's see what happens. It's um, The Redlands Coast. The Redlands well, Coast. Watch this space, eh? Yeah. See what happens. That's it. And I've been here nearly the whole time. I did two years in Sydney. Yeah. Um, when was that? 19, actually be three years in Sydney. Uh, 96, 7 and 8, I think it was. But outside of that, mate. Redlands hard. Yeah, well. Mm. And so in this time, so you're you say you're thirteen around now, thirteen or fourteen, I guess, when you're you you've now moved over, you've kind of I guessing settled in 
it's a brizzy life, Australian life. The mosquitoes aren't destroying you as much anymore. Um, had you, because we'll get to it in a, a bit later, but you've had a, a variety of jobs and occupations, but did you have any sort of like feelings of what you wanted to be sort of when you grew up, you know, as we kind of think when we're kids, like yeah. had that started to begin yet or were you just you know, living the dream, you know, just being a, a high schooler? Yeah. Uh, no idea what yeah. I was going to do when I was a kid. No idea whatsoever. Uh, there was one point where I wanted to be an all black. Yeah. And then there was another point where I wanted to play cricket for New Zealand. Um, and then we made the move to Australia and then, not long after moving to Australia, uh, my mother enrolled me or registered me at a local basketball club, um, which used to be right here at the YMCA in yeah, Victoria yeah. Point where you and I are sitting yeah. right now. Um, so basketball became the sport that I played and I chose it because of my back, you mm. know, basketball being a non-contact sport. Um, and I loved it, you know, and, and I picked it up quickly. Um, that's what happens when you're a uh, naturally gifted athlete. <laughs> yeah. I can kidding. imagine. <laughs> but I did pick it up quickly, fell in love with the game quickly. Um, and then from that point on, I pretty much wanted to be a, a professional basketball yeah. player, um, you know, playing the NBA. But but along the way, I knew that, you know, well, those those goals seemed very high and lofty and, and I – you know, my heart of hearts knew that was going to be a very, very tough gig. Mm. Um, but outside of that, I had no idea what yeah. I wanted to do. Yeah. I was just trying to settle in, make friends. I hated school. Yeah. I absolutely hated school. Yeah. Um, but I love sport. And, um, yeah, as I went through my primary school years, my high school years, basketball was the only thing that I did. Um, but, yeah, I had no idea outside of sport you know, what I was going to do with my life. And, and the more I struggled at school and the more assignments and exams that I failed at school, yeah. the more I became concerned about what I would do if I wasn't an all-black and New Zealand cricket yeah. player or an NBA superstar. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a tough journey, actually. So do you think that that – so when you say you became concerned, did you start to, you think, have, like, anxiety, things like that around that or – because – I, I know from my experience, I, I was the same, hated school. My parents, they pretty much had my parents on speed dial because I had that many detentions. <laughs> and I, I was in a lot of trouble, which is the opposite, as you know, my wife, Denny. Yes. She was the opposite. Yeah, right. We would not have been friends at school. <laughs> I would have thought she was a weirdo and she would have thought I was a weirdo. So it's funny that we're now married. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how the world... Turns out, you know, as the uh, great philosopher Paula Abdul once said, <laughs> yeah. opposites attract. Mate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. Um, but I, I just remember for me, I in the, on that period of uh, end of high school, had having no idea what I wanted to do, and to a certain extent, I still kind of think that way. There was a lot of anxiety that sort of mm. I don't know if it's anxiety, but just a lot of even comparison. You look at people and you're like, they know exactly what they want to do. Yeah. Why don't I have that? Yeah. Do you think that affected you in any way or? Yeah, look, I think with um, back then, yes, there may have been, you know, elements of anxiety and um, and ingredients that make up anxiety, mm. you know, uncertainty, worry, yeah. uh, all that kind of stuff. And um, But obviously, I didn't know what it was and, and with all the information we have around it these days, you can easily go, yep, that's what it is. But... Back then, yeah, th there would have been a little bit of that. Um, 
and I think I think it was um, more about you know if if I'm not doing well at school, um, you know how am I going to put a roof over my head? How am I going to look after myself? When when I got to like year nine and ten. And I started doing work experience that had been arranged by the school, mm-hmm. and because I wasn't, you know, an in class kind of guy and whatever, they were they were hooking me up with like landscapers and builders, and you know, I, I did like half an hour of those, you know, work experience opportunities, and discovered very quickly that I was not built for work outdoors, yeah, uh, or anything of a uh, of you know a, a physical kind of thing, yeah. Um, and then outside of that, I'm thinking, well, what else is there to do, mm. you know? And so I reckon as I moved through my schooling, yeah, the anxiety increased a little bit. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then when I got booted out of school, um, would have been the start of year 11, which would have been 1993, I think it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was three. You were three? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so I wasn't, I was uh, not getting booted out anyway, <laughs> you know, except for maybe preschool. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. Don't let the bald head fool you, mate. I'm, yeah. I'm only quite young. <laughs> so yeah. what, what, tell me about why did you get booted out of school? Oh, here we go. And you <laughs> mentioned that, that would come up. Because I don't know any of this story. This okay. is not set up or anything. Yeah. I've yeah. just thought, let's just talk. So, yeah. yeah. All yeah. right. Um, yeah, look, from, from day one at high school, when I went to Cleveland, uh, state high school, uh, here in the Redlands, um, yeah, school and I didn't see eye to eye. I was more interested in hanging out with people and trying to be the popular kid and Mm. chase the girls and all that kind of stuff. Um, the girls were too quick for me though. I had no (laughs) chance. Um, but, uh, yeah, from, from day one, uh, yeah, I uh, didn't enjoy school and I was trying to cover my tracks in a whole bunch of different ways. So I was developing a bit of a rap sheet yeah, okay. really early. Um, and that included, you know, not listening to class and not doing homework and not, you know, um, not wearing the right uniform and, and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, you get detentions here and there and then you get a bit of a, a reputation. There's a big X that goes on your back and whenever you do anything that looks like poor behavior, bam, detention or, or whatever it is. And, and they just kind of got worse and worse and worse. And and I made some dumb choices around, you know, um, well, probably year nine, you know, when I started getting involved in what I'll call extracurricular activities. Yep. Um, I think I understand what you mean. Yeah, yeah. cool. <laughs> what, what rating is this podcast? Oh, right? it doesn't matter. Whatever you want. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, look, and, and that just that just exacerbated things and, yeah. and it got worse. And so eventually, um, yeah, th- there was an incident related to uh, illicit drugs yeah. that um, saw me brought before the principal and the school board. And uh, my mum had to come in and they pretty much just pulled the rap sheet out. They said, man, we're sick of this. Mm. And um, ultimately, there was a straw that broke the camel's back and... Um, and yeah, that that brought an end to my secondary education, yeah. I guess you could say. Although I went to another, I went to Capalaba State High School for a year after that. Yeah, but it wasn't a part of the normal secondary school curriculum. They developed this one year course called the uh, tertiary preparation, no, adult tertiary preparation okay. course. Yeah. Um, and what which, what was that involved? Like, oh, or? mate, they, they made us work on the gardens around the school yeah. and, um, you know, 
it, it was like community service for high school age students within the school <laughs> yeah. property, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and there was no tertiary preparation whatsoever. No. Well, I reckon there was, but I didn't notice it or pay attention or whatever. So, I, I had a similar thing. My school, it was so funny looking back on it, but they they had this brilliant idea that the tension would be in the sick bay and there's a flipping bed in the sick bay. <laughs> so the tension was my favourite part of the day. We'd, I'd just fall asleep until the rest of the day. Of the day, it was just like a daily routine. Oh, yeah, but... sometimes. It got to a point that way. And because it, I had a similar thing, you know, you get this sort of rap sheet and you get an X on your back. No matter what I did, my mates and I, even if it was just swinging on a chair, to be like detention. See you yeah, later. Yeah, we were like, yeah. sweet, see you in three hours after uh, for a nap. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, and, but they, we had this thing called... Um, Voc-Ed, which is vocational education. Yep. So it's essentially, what did we used to do? Three days three days of schooling, which wasn't really schooling. Um, one day of like a TAFE, mm. so did welding courses and things. It was awesome. And then one day of work experience. Okay. But the English teacher, this is at Redlands College, yep. just not far from here as well. Yeah. She just decided she didn't want to deal with me. And so literally every English class, I would get to go and help build the drama sets. It was the best. I don't know how to speak properly now (laughs) or read, but it was awesome at the time. I know how to build a drama set, that's for sure. Hey, that's all you need. But it is funny how they, I just, just as you're saying, like they, I don't know if it's the schooling system might have changed, but I found the more and more bad you got or bad at schoolwork, the more, the less opportunities I had to sort of catch up. Yeah, look, yeah. I've I've got some pretty strong views on on education and the way we teach kids and stuff. And yeah, I think back in our day, there's that old person saying again, back in my day. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not far off that either. Yeah, I don't yeah. think you are. You <laughs> no. might be a bit younger, but I think you can use 30, the back so, of my day yeah. at some point. <laughs> but you know, I think the education system back in my day, I think reflected the industrial age a little bit. You know, where you had. Um, you had someone that would provide the training to a, a group and then that group would be assessed on on how much information they were able to um, hold and retain. Yeah. And then the results from that pretty much dictated whether or not you were a good student. Yeah. But we all know that, you know, the learning styles these days are, are broad mm. and um, not everyone learns from sitting down, absorbing info and then spitting it back out onto an exam sheet or, or into an assignment, you know. Um, that's not me. You know, I think that's why I struggle with school so much. Yeah. But I don't, I don't think that's the majority of people either, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and it's grown. Like, I think there's still elements of that uh, in the schooling system, mm. but I do believe that the education system is on this, um, on this path of acknowledging the various learning styles yeah. and how to cater for it. Yeah. Um, and I think they got her because with the information we have, yeah. Well, yeah, that's what, like Google is a game changer. For mm, Even mm. things like Wikipedia, things like that, yep. you know, like there, and there's two sides of the coin. There's the, well, you don't learn anything because you can just Google it. Yeah. But I think what I, I even I've had to learn and I'm still on this journey, which this podcast is part of that is this, you need to know how to learn. I yep. think it's. It's teaching, I think, what needs to be taught to kids, and it might be getting taught, I don't know, because I don't have any kids in school, but um, is this how do you find the information and also how do you 
teaching, I don't know how to phrase it, but teaching kids to be lifelong learners, yeah. I think. Yeah. Because yeah. I know for me, when I finished school, it was like, well, I don't need to learn anymore. Mm. You know, and now it's it, five, well, how, I don't know how long it's been since I finished school, but there's probably a good five, six years of having that mentality. Yeah. I just didn't do anything. Yeah. And then suddenly something went off and it was like, yeah. you need to start educating yourself. And you know? and I, I reckon that was my story too, because yeah, you referred to... Um, you know, me having a number of different occupations before. And I, I believe that is the result of, yeah, adopting that lifelong learning mentality mm. and then also discovering how I best learn, you know, what my strengths are yeah. and that what I thought of myself during high school and what those who are running detention at high school were saying about me. Yeah. You know, when I when I learned how to kind of put those things in, in the right place and I'm like, hang on a minute. Yeah. What do I want to do? Because I reckon I could pull it off if I got the right people around me and took the right steps and all that kind mm. of stuff. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's I think it's a similar story. Yeah, that what you said just there is key as well. It's that under, starting to understand yourself. Mm. Like uh, I think it's only since I've like Denny and I have both been on a, a bit of a quest of like personality types and this sort of thing and looking into that. It's it's changed this, our relationship, especially, but just even every the way that I do my life because I'm I understand I still don't fully understand it. I don't think you can ever fully understand it. The way that I tick, the way that I work, and then I can go out and find people who aren't like me, yeah, but can help me on that journey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think that's something. And I talk to my mates and things like that, and they go, oh, I've never heard of doing anything like that. Yeah. And to me, looking back on it, I think everybody should know that. Because yeah. I think, man, we could get so much more done. Yeah. And I think people would be a heck of a lot more happy. Absolutely. And, and I'll, I'll go I'll go a step in a different direction. I'll also say that when, when you're on this lifelong journey of learning about who you are and, and what's out there and blah, 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 I think you put yourself in a good position to discover, you know, your passions, your mm. interests, the things that you really love doing. But if you can then work out, all right, how can I, how can I support my wife and my children doing this? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I think if you can work that out and make that a reality, I reckon you're pretty close to living the dream. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's it really is true. Like, mm. um, just the because Danny and I were so opposites on different ways. And we haven't, we've been lucky. We kind of had good communication before we got married. And then because we've been married now, I can't get this wrong because she's going to listen. <laughs> but um, I think it's coming up to four years. 13th of December, 2014. Yeah, four years. Yes, well Na done. Nailed it. Well, maths was one of your strong suits oh, in uh, uh, school, right? Uh, not really. <laughs> but I could do that one. That was good. When, it, when it's like 15 years married, oh, man, I'm going to be struggling. Yeah. I have yeah. to get like tattooed on my arm each year <laughs> yeah, or something. Right. <laughs> but um, what was I saying? Like, yeah, um, we're so opposites in different ways, but we've we're learning that they can be complementary to each other. You know, yeah. they don't have to be opposite. They yeah. can be complementary. And yeah. that, that changes just the way we do everything. Yeah. You know? and, and we're nowhere near perfect. Yeah. I don't think you can ever be perfect on that because we're humans. But oh, I'm pretty close. Yeah, yeah. But, um, 
Some people get there. Right, this is why I'm interviewing you. I thought he's the most perfect person on earth. It's Jason Fiddies. Yeah, that's know. right. Not yeah. Fiddies. Mate, this, this podcast is going right off the rails yeah. now, mate. That's right. what I'm all about tangents as long as they're interesting or funny. So, sorry. Cool. Sorry, like, listeners. Yeah, and I'm funny too, so you're in luck, mate. I'm perfect <laughs> yeah. and I'm funny and athletic. Yeah, yeah. So, well, well you, you this. So, I should say as well, this is my first time. This is my first guest. Jason has... Uh, nicely come onto the podcast and and got into the room so if it's gone off the rails this is probably why but we're podcasting baby we're podcasting <laughs> what's going on this I don't is great. Know. living the dream yes. that's true so that's probably a good segue then so we talked about um occupations so you come out of school what sort of this i didn't want it to become like a, a like a timeline of your life but yeah. that's what it's happening yeah so we've naturally gone it's now. all it's all good um where do you go? So you, you said you're not interested in physical labor. Yes, still um, not. Still not. That's fine. Do you mow the lawn and things like that? Let's keep the personal questions <laughs> yeah. out of this podcast. That's a bit eh? too. We won't. Only because the answer is no. My wife does. Oh, that's all right. And I'm just afraid of the uh, the public outcry <laughs> that will come from that. Uh, my my belief is, you know, if if my wife believes wholeheartedly that. Mowing lawns is a part of her purpose and destiny. Like, who am I to get in the way of that? Yeah, exactly. You know, like, I, I want to support her. Yeah. Don't but crush I'll, those dreams. That's right. You know, <laughs> yeah. good on I'm, I'm behind her, 100%. Good on Daddy, if you're listening, <laughs> let's have a chat. <laughs> um, what were you we saying? Uh, we're talking about occupation. So, where yeah. did you, you, so you got booted out of school, you went to another school. Yeah. Uh, but where did you... You had to start a job at some stage. Yeah. What happened? What, All right, my do? first job ever... Franklin's No Frills Supermarket at Capalabar Park Shopping Centre. Nice. Checkout um, chick? No, not a checkout chick, unfortunately. Um, but I was a, uh, a floor assistant. Oh. So I was- uh, fancy. Taking stock out. Yeah. <laughs> I was taking stock out onto the floor, filling shelves, unpacking shelves, uh, mainly business hours staff. We were also responsible for trolleys. So every now and then I'd go out into the car park and get yeah. trolleys in and so on. Uh, Mr. Dean, I think his name was, was my first ever boss. Yeah. Uh, he, he was pretty cool. Uh, looked like my dad, to be honest. Yeah, well, so it was kind of awkward. Yeah. Especially since I hadn't seen my dad for about 10 years. But anyways. Um, and, uh, but you know what? I had a good time there, man. I, I started off casually Thursday nights and Saturdays. Yeah. And then got a full-time gig. And then, um, yeah, uh, it was good. I enjoyed it. Um, I can't remember why I left, to be honest. I didn't get sacked. I'd just like oh, to make that good. clear. Yeah, well. Um but yeah, it was good, uh, but it wasn't for me, you know, um, I'm not sure why, but after that, uh, my friend owned a, uh, this is where it gets a, a bit kind of funny and weird, but my, my friend owned a, um, a construction company, okay. like an earth moving company. Yep. Um, and, uh, and during this time of my life, I had developed some pretty significant issues around illicit drugs okay. and substance use issues and so on. So um, I reckon I, I lost interest in my job at Franklin's and um, it's all a bit foggy, that yeah. time of my life, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but I stopped working there um, and I was battling, had no source of income. I reckon I was couch surfing at that point in my life too. So we're talking like my late teens, early okay. 20s. Yeah. Um, 
and then, uh, yeah, my friend who owned the surf moving company, uh, he he offered me a job driving one of his um, one of his rollers. Oh yeah, because yeah. he was like a I think he's a subdivider. I think that's the right word. You know, yeah. doing all the streets Rates and up. stuff yeah. and that. Sounds right. We'll go yep. of it. Yep, <laughs> sounds good to me. Someone can correct us. Yes, yep. I'm sure there'll be someone. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I drove that for a bit. Um, that was pretty easy, but that came to an end. Um, yeah, there was just a point where my friend said, look, I haven't got any more work for you. Uh, and then that was it. Uh, a lot of unemployment, mm. a lot of unemployment. And then, um, yeah, moved to Sydney. Jeez, uh, yeah, when was that? Mid to late 90s, so like 96, 7 or 8, something like that. Uh, once again, very foggy. The 90s were, were well, sorry, the, yeah, the, the, the mid to late 90s were very foggy for me, very foggy. But yeah, I went to Sydney, worked there in a bar for a couple of years. Why did you move to Sydney just to change? Yeah, I had no opportunities here. I had an auntie and a cousin who lived in Sydney. Mm. Uh, they live in this um, cute little suburb called King's Cross, oh, yeah. believe it or not. Beautiful place. It is, yeah, <laughs> lovely. You know, if you want to find a lifelong partner and get yeah. married and buy a house with a white picket fence and live happily ever after. It's like the Shire. King's Cross. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's Redlands, right. Redlands Coast. Yeah, sorry. King's Cross Coast. <laughs> yeah, that's um, it. But my, I'd actually spent Christmas at my auntie's place in King's Cross okay. like for, for years before that. Um, and yeah, I was just out of options and, and opportunities. So I moved down there and my cousin got me a job uh, in a cafe slash bar slash restaurant called the Zanzi Bar Cafe. Yeah. And, um, yeah, kitchen hand stuff and then bar manager and all that kind of jazz, man. And, uh, but then, um, the cafe got sold. Uh, the owner was a bandito. It all went a bit pear shaped after that. Uh, My substance, yeah, it was. My substance use issues went to a whole nother level. Um, just because you were, I'm guessing. Because in that area, a lot more available, yeah. people you were associating with and things yeah. like that, yeah. And I was working like through the night and sleeping through the day and, um, you know, the Zanzibar was a pumping little place mm. and, um, yeah. yeah. Sounds hectic. Yeah, it yeah. was. Yeah. And so coming out of that foggy period then, because at some stage you end up as the Broncos – Chaplain or player welfare? Well, that, what is? I, I'm probably wrong there, but you. No, nah, you're story. right. You're absolutely right. It started as a chaplain, yeah. and then I became the player welfare officer at the Broncos. So we skipped a bunch of years. I, I didn't just walk out of King's Cross and <laughs> yeah. into Red Hill. Um, you know, Run into Wayne Bennett. Yeah, Bennett. that's right. <laughs> Rock up to Wayne, scratching my sores, looking like a junkie. Give yeah. me a job. Yeah, quite worked that way. Um, so we can well we can go back then. Uh, yeah, look, there's not a whole lot that needs to be said. That there is a significant um, moment in my life that you know drastically changed the direction of my yeah. life, and I don't know how deep we can go into spiritual stuff right, here. As deep as you want. Yeah, yeah. nice, nice. Really, well, this there's no sort of limits. So cool. There's no uh, yeah, whatever you want to say. And this is a pilot, right? This is a prototype. Exactly. The first one. So we'll soon find out if there's limits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if if the listener. <laughs> The number of listeners drops off after this next yeah. comment. If we go from zero to negative 100. That's right. <laughs> yeah. You might just need to narrow your yeah. objective with these things. Yeah, exactly. Uh, look, so let me just sum it up this way. Broken home, moved countries, car accident, father not in the mix, 
didn't do good at school, mm. no idea what I wanted to do other than being a professional athlete, made some poor choices, got involved in, in illicit drugs and, and things like that, experimented with a whole bunch of things, you know, a couple of jobs that didn't quite work out, uh, I got pretty sick, uh, couch surfing, didn't have stable accommodation uh, for a while, I ended, ended up in Sydney, um, just picture what that could have looked like, yeah. uh, mixed with the wrong crowd, uh, got involved in some um, some difficult things. Uh, I ended up finding myself in a very, very dark and dangerous place, mm. um, significant mental health issues, um, significant issues with some people that I was rolling with back in the day. Um, so I came back to Brisbane uh, in 1999 um, and uh, stayed with my mum for a bit. My mum was, uh, you know, still following Jesus and was going to a church and this church had a youth camp on. Yeah. And uh, even though I was in my young adult years, my mum was like, you know, you should go. It's all good. They're not, not strict on the age. Just go. I'll pay for you and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I just needed a good sleep and some good food and good company. So I thought, yeah, why not? I'll go to this <laughs> camp. Uh, so, yeah, I went to this uh, youth camp held by the Church of the Nazarene up at Majimba Beach on the okay. Sunshine Coast. Yep. Um, and actually, the same guy who owned the Earth Moving Company that gave me the job, he was the, uh, the, youth, the youth pastor at yeah, that wow. point. So, he organized this camp. So, I knew who was going to be there and stuff like that. And I pretty much slept through the first two days of the camp. It was a week-long camp. Um, you know, I was sick and, and all that kind of jazz. So pretty much hibernated in my cabin. And, and the guy who was running the camp was really gracious. He'd just come in and check on me every now and then. Hey, you going? Food's on. You want to come out? Like, he knew what he was dealing with and yeah. allowed me to come. And, you know, day three, I made my way out of the cabin and, you know, started eating with everyone else and going to the sessions. This is a church camp, Christian church camp. Yeah. And, um, you know, so these sessions, you know, there was, there was singing and praise and worship going on and, and my mate, the owner of the Earth Moving Company, the, the leader of this camp was the speaker, yeah, and he was, you know, talking about how, um, you know, he was talking about Jesus and, and who he was and what he did and what he offers and how we can have a relationship with him and it just all sounded great, you know, it just sounded like what I needed. Yeah. And um, so that'd be the opposite of almost what you'd come out of. Exactly. It was the complete opposite. Yeah. You know, I've been looking for life in other ways and in other places and, uh, and I wasn't finding life. And along the way, I was experiencing heartbreak and stuff. You know, I had a long-term relationship uh, prior to this camp as well, and that all fell through and that was pretty that devastating. Was tough, yeah. And um, uh, so, you know, I was looking for life and happiness and all, in all the wrong places. And, um, yeah, what I was hearing at this camp, I was like, man, I've I got to give this Jesus guy a crack. Yeah. So it would have been like the second last night of camp. So I was stewing on this, you know, day four, day five. Yeah, something's going on here, you know, and just thinking about it more but not actually doing anything about it. And then, yeah, it would have been either the second last night or the last night of camp. Yeah, 
It was just there was something going on internally, you know, in my heart, in my gut, in my mind that I thought, yeah, I've got to do something here. And the instruction was clear. It was come forward, let someone pray with you, give your life to Jesus, confess your sin, confess the fact that you've turned your back on God, you've tried to live your life your own way um, and ignore God's plan for your life and, and, and just give your life to him and ask him to help you mm-hmm. and then commit your life to, you know, just following him and being in a relationship with him, whatever that looked like. Yeah. That was the instruction. So one night I'm like, yep, I'm in. So, yeah, mate, made my way down to the front and fell in a heap on the floor and, mate, it was, a you know, an emotional response as well. And um, we had a whole bunch of people gather around me praying. That night I gave my life to Jesus and that's when things changed yeah. dramatically. Yeah, wow. That's awesome. That's an awesome yeah, story. I reckon so too. <laughs> yeah. And let me just say, um, overnight, overnight, God healed me from my addiction problems. Wow. Overnight. So you just had no more sort of cravings. Yeah. That's incredible. Now, I, I, I will be honest and clear and say that um, he delivered me from um, a substance use disorder, which is what we call it today. But back then, he delivered me from a drug problem. Yeah. There was still... Um, I was still smoking cigarettes. That took longer yeah. for me to, to be. So, you know, it's it's easy for someone to go, yeah, God delivered me from this. You know, how good is it? But oh, I want to be straight up and say that there was another issue in my life that was not healthy and I didn't want it. And that took longer. Yeah. And there are other areas in my life today that I'd love for God to deliver me from. So I still battle with mental health issues. Yeah. You know, I got depression and stuff like that. Um, you know, I've gone to God. A number of times I said, man, help me take this, deliver me. And for some reason, um, he hasn't done that. And that's all cool. Mm. You know, um, I think there's a bigger plan in store and stuff. So I just need to be straight up with all of that. Yeah, yeah. But that night I gave my life to Jesus, the big number one issue. Boom, took it from me overnight. Because if that hadn't happened, you probably, we probably wouldn't be talking right now. Yeah, absolutely. You might still be in King's Cross. Who knows? Yep. Yeah. Working for the banditos. Yeah. Um, yeah. Life would be drastically different. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That's incredible. Mm. That's amazing. And, but were you a, would you say you were a Christian before you went to, so at, at any stage really before, because you were saying your mum was a follower of Jesus. Yeah. Had you really taken that on board for yourself or not really? I had a couple of false starts. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I... I heard about God very, very early on in my life. Um, so after my mum and dad split, my mum, yeah, she made a faith-based decision as well. So our neighbour led my mum to Christ. Yeah. And then we started going to a church when I was very young. So I was familiar with the church scene. As a young kid, didn't like it, yeah. found it boring. Um, and then in my teens, you know, there were a couple of youth events that I went to and I got hyped up by it. Yeah, yes, it's cool, man. Yeah, yeah, right. doing, yeah. yeah, he wants to see you receive Jesus. Yeah, I'm in, mate, I'm yeah. in. And then the next day I was smoking ciggies behind the dunny yeah. block or yeah. not to say that, you know, um, cigarettes are the be all and end all. But just in my understanding of things, yeah, there was a couple of false starts yeah. there. I can relate to that. Okay. I definitely had those. I, I don't know if they even still do it, but those Youth Alive concerts yeah. and yeah. like they're awesome. Don't they get are. Me wrong. absolutely. Like, some people have, but I reckon every time I'd, I'd be the one down the front, you know, of all these, all my mates and stuff. Yeah. And then 
I literally the next day we'd be doing the opposite of everything we just said, and then that would continue on for the next year until we went to another UFLA. Yeah, concert. that's right. <laughs> I was pretty much the same. Yeah, but but for me back then, so my teenage years, so mum and I moved to Australia, 1988. Mum's involved in the church, Church of the Nazarene. You know, I was going through school, all that kind of jazz. Um, I would go to the uh, to the youth camps that were on every year. So I knew what camp I was going to when I okay. came back from Sydney. Yeah. I just hadn't been to one for a while. Yeah. Um, but it was those camps that did it for me. You know, you're just in this little community um, and it's great. You're all on the same page. You make a decision and, you know, go back home and reality kicks in and so on. So I had a few false starts uh, along the way. Uh, for various reasons, but the difference to me this time was, um, I reckon there was there was a, a clear understanding that you know that all God wanted from me was was my faith, mm. and it was my faith and belief that although I wasn't there to see what He did for me in Jesus, I believe it anyway. Yeah, that's essentially what yeah. being saved by faith means. Yeah, and and all of that was a free gift. You know, when I, when I discovered that, um, you know, being a child of God or a follower of Jesus is possible because of what God does and not what I do, mm. that's when the penny dropped for me. So I'm like, see, so that, that night at camp, I was like, so I don't need to get over my drug problem in order to give Jesus my life. I don't need to get over my cigarettes in order to give Jesus my life. I don't need to have all my ducks in a row. Yeah. To give Jesus my life. When I realized that, I think that was the difference. Yeah. And then I gave my life to Jesus. And then after that, that's where I believe God, by his grace and by his spirit, gave me the strength I needed to make changes. Mm. He gave me a miracle, deliverance from a drug addiction. But then he's journeyed with me and he's put a whole bunch of things in place that have enabled me to live the life that I thought I had to live before yes. I could be a child of God. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. Oh, I'm I'm exactly the same, and I feel like you're probably similar to me in that when when I was growing up, because my parents, you know, I went to church since the day I was born. Well, mm. Probably not. I would have been pretty fresh, but um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, it's, I do. it's pretty, pretty early on, and um, I've always been, much to my parents' pleasure, this kid who hates authority, like hates hates rules. If you put rules in front of me, my head instantly goes to how can I break them? Obviously, I'd like to bend them so that you don't know that I've broken them. But so this sort of thing. And so growing up, especially during uh, primary school, high school, I, all I saw in church, and it was mainly in my head because I knew that people were actually not teaching me this, but was just what you said. I need to live a certain way in order for to be a Christian or yeah. for God to love me. Yeah, that's right. And that didn't fly with me. Yeah. You know? I was like, well, I want to do the opposite of that, which yeah. is which is ridiculous. But um, I, so it wasn't until, oh, I can't even remember now, must have been 19 or 20 after a lot of false starts as well that I came to that same um, position, which is, you know what, I don't, I don't have to have it all in order. I don't have to be this person before I can be called a Christian, mm. you know, quote in quote sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. And that that's the game changer, you know, like yeah. and that mentality is what then changes your life. Yeah. To almost start to look like the people that I didn't want to be. Yeah. Which is so ridiculous. Yeah. And it's also the it's also the foundation of everything we do from yeah. that point on. Yeah. You know, like I mate, as you said before, you know, 
Uh, you're far from perfect. I'm far from perfect. I hope people know I was joking before. Yeah, I'm when, sure. when I was joking about that. Um, Probably get an email about that as well. <laughs> yeah, you might. You might. <laughs> but, um, you know, so along the way, I'll, I'll continue to make mistakes. You know, I'll continue to do things that, um, you know, I guess don't meet the expectations that the community has of or the views or the stereotypical views they have of yeah. of um, of Christians, you yeah. know. And I'm not justifying that or trying to, you know, validate. I'm just saying that um, my foundation for my faith is what you and I described, mm. a God who loves us anyway. Yeah. And he just invites us to be a part of uh, his family. Yeah. And we just receive that. We accept that. And then from there, he gives us the grace and the ability to um, live lives that, you know, honor him and bless others and, and things like that. And if I do screw up along the way, um, I know that, you know, that's um, that doesn't determine my faith position. Mm. Um, yeah, that's so good. Yeah, so yeah. it sustains us for the long haul. Yes, long, yeah, because you, know? you just can't do it any other way. It's yeah. not going to happen. Well, that's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where I reckon a lot of people fall down in this this faith game, especially the Christian faith. Mm. There's this, this picture they've got in their head of what, you know, a follower of Jesus looks like. Yeah. And it's the grand picture. It's probably the picture we all aspire to. Yeah. And then they give it a crack. And then they realize, oh, I can't do it. Yeah. This is all a load of crap. Mm. And then, boom, they throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. When and you go around the other way. And it's like this cycle as well, isn't it? You know? Yeah. I, f- I found myself there a lot. You know? And you still find yourself sometimes coming back to that and you've got yeah. to remind yourself. And yep. yeah. Definitely. But I say all of that, man, that was a long explanation of how I went <laughs> from. A junkie in the cross, yeah. To working at the Broncos, <laughs> yeah. Um, we got, we we'll, get there. Then. We are, we are. <laughs> What's the time frame? Goodness oh, me! Now we got it right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, you'd be editing like a mad. It's only man. what have we got? 40, 48 minutes. So that's pretty good. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sweet. Uh, well, we won't keep everyone here <laughs> yeah. uh, for too long. but In, in utter suspense. That's, yeah, that's right. <laughs> they're all nibbling on popcorn yeah, right exactly. now. Yeah, they're 3D glasses on. Yeah. I don't know why they would have their mod, but yeah, that's, you know, the podcast, that's the picture mate. I have in my head. <laughs> it works. I understand <laughs> yeah. what you're doing. Um, but look, as a result of, of all of that, you know, I've given my life to Jesus and saying, you know what, I'm probably going to screw this up along the way, but I'm going to continue to look to him and yeah. go to him and all of that and have him him as my mentor in life, um, yeah, things started to change. So, uh, you know, I joined, you know, a local church and very early on the pastor was like, Jay, share your testimony. We'd love to hear it. So I did that. He's like, you're going to be a preacher. I'm like, you're an idiot. <laughs> and he kept saying that. So I said, all right, what do I need to do? He's like, go to Bible college. So I did that. Yeah. Um, I uh, did uh, three and a half, four years at theological college. Yeah. Which one was that? Nazarene Theological College. So okay. I was part of the Church of Nazarene back then, yep. which comes from the uh, the the Methodist movement. All right. Um, so uh, I have I have some strong, not strong, but there is a Methodist flavor to the way I do spirituality yeah. and faith and so on. Um, but yeah, so I graduated from uh, Nazarene Theological College here in Brisbane. And um, and it was actually it was really good to leave an educational institution without being asked to. Yeah, that was a fantastic yeah. achievement. It's a milestone. It was loved it. 
Um, and, you know, at that point, though, I think the last two years of my time in college, I was doing some student pastor stuff okay. and I was preaching a lot, running youth group, running Bible studies. So this would have been, you know, 2002, 2003. Yep, maybe about that. Once again, very foggy, even yeah. though I was in a better place. Man, there's a lot's going on. Exactly, yeah. But, yeah, I was doing all that back then. And then, uh, yeah, it was called to my first pastorate in 2004 at a church called the uh, Riverview Church of the Nazarene okay. out near Ipswich. Yep. It was like a church plant, very small. I wouldn't even call it a church plant. It was very small. But my wife and I, who had just got married, so this time I, you know, I'd started dating Ange. Yeah. She fell head over heels in love with me and wanted to hold on to me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Perfect, athletic, yeah, educated, exactly. all that stuff yeah. that I've been referring to. Um, I'm kidding for those of you who <laughs> may be listening down the track. Um, and we got married, so we moved out there and did that. Uh, and it was a tough gig. You know, it grew by the grace of God, but we nearly killed ourselves in the mm. process. Um, but would I was have a been a, Would have been a, an interesting thing to be doing when you're newly married as well, I imagine. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And it put a lot of strain on our marriage, okay. a lot of strain. And in fact, when, uh, when Angela fell pregnant with Jackson, our first child, uh, who was 13 yeah. today and is sitting outside this room with yeah. your wife doing some... Yeah. Talking about basketball. Yeah, because um, Danny loves basketball. She does. Yeah. She's great it's her at it. favorite thing. She's great at it. <laughs> um, uh, when Angela, you know, when we when we were expecting Jackson, we thought the best thing to do was to pull out of that ministry position and focus on our marriage and the arrival of Jackson, which is what we did. Yeah. So I took a couple of years off the ministry, and I was unwell. I was burnt out from ministry as well. I worked for uh, Foxtel. Yeah, okay. Like a sales manager. I can imagine you being like, is that, so you weren't a sales person at Carindale Shopping Center or something? Well, funny you say that. Yeah. So, you know, so I started off in that role. Okay. Um, so, they're called kiosks. Yeah. And uh, so, I was a kiosk advisor. Yeah. So, I came out of ministry, needed a job, saw this job in the paper. Angela's like, look at the money. So, there was a salary base and commission that you could get. She's like, you should go for it. You know, you're good at talking. You're good with people. So, I had started to discover some of my strengths by this time. Yeah. So, I applied for it. Yeah, got it easily. Nice. And I worked in one of those kiosks as a kiosk advisor or a salesperson, flogging off Foxtel. Yeah. Um, and I began at Carindale Shopping Center. Wow. There yeah. you go. Um, but I was, uh, before too long, I was killing it, bruh. I was killing it. So, I was, uh, you know, top of the state or top three in the state in sales. So, I went into like a management position. So, I started managing the kiosk at Carindale. Yeah, wow. And then I started managing the kiosks and malls on the south side of Brisbane. So, you know, training staff and, and trying to hit KPIs and stuff like that. It was yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Free Foxtel, which I enjoyed. Hey, that'd be awesome. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> Do you still have any connections? Because I need free Foxtel. <laughs> I don't, unfortunately. All the sports now on Foxtel. I don't. Like that's right. But see, I've been with Foxtel forever and a day. So, just recently, I threatened to cancel my oh, Foxtel. Yeah. And they threw every deal under the sun at me just because I'd been with them for so long. You know, free this, free that, massive package for the base package price. I'm winning still. That's the key, isn't it? I've, that's what my brother taught me. If in doubt, threaten to quit. Yep. And you get some pretty good deals. You do, especially yeah. if you've been with them for a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, so, yeah, I, I did that. And then, um, yeah, uh, not long after that, 
I just really sensed the core. Actually, a whole bunch of other stuff's happened there, man. Like, yeah. I actually went into disability support work after that yeah, okay. quickly. Yeah. Um, a lot of variety then. Yeah, there's a lot of variety, man. That's and then good. I did that for a little while and then ended up back at the pastorate because yeah. by that time I was living back in the Redlands. And my wife and I and Jackson at this point were going to Cleveland Baptist. Okay. And the uh, senior pastor at Cleveland Baptist um, heard a bit of my my story and they were looking for a youth pastor. So he tapped me on the shoulder and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, mate, I'm the king of Foxtel. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, you thought about coming back to pastoral ministry? You know, we're looking for a youth pastor. And um, I st- still had a bit of burnout. Mm. So I was kind of like, you know, not not yet. But I'm open to it. Yeah. You know, I said the spiritual thing, I'll pray about it, yeah. which I probably didn't. What do you, can I interrupt? What do you mm. mean by burnout? Because I think I hear the term burnout a lot and I've, it's always something that I thought, well, what, are, what do you actually mean by that? Do you just, yeah, can you explain what that meant for you? Yep. So, firstly, I was exhausted, mm. but I didn't know it. Um, and secondly, any ministry function that, um, I was required to do being at church, leading worship. Don't forget small congregations, yeah. leading worship, preaching, just anything related to me being a pastor would create high levels of anxiety, okay. high levels of anxiety. And then the flip side of that would be um, when I perform that ministry function, then there would be low levels of energy to the point of deep discouragement and depression. So it was this wicked cycle. Yeah, wow. Anxious about what I had to do. I'd do it. I'd critique it. I'd hate it. Mm. And then I'd be very depressed by it. Yeah. Just bang, 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 That's bang. So that'd be such a hard thing to to get out of while in that role. You'd imagine, yeah. hey. How yeah. deep you want me to go with this, man? As deep as you want. All right. Yeah. All right. We, so can, I, we can talk about it, yeah. Like, yeah, oh, man, I'm an open book. Yeah. I'm an open book. Um, and I didn't handle it well. Yeah. So I had a massive drinking problem. That yeah, was the way I dealt with it for those two years that I was there. Uh, massive drinking problem. Um, you know, by the grace of God, uh, I don't have too many, um, you know, crosses to carry or thorns in the flesh or whatever. Mm. You know, I don't have, you know, a problem gambling. And I don't have a problem with pornography. I don't have a problem, you know, even with, you know, gossiping or being unforgiving, just just yeah. anything that, yeah. you know, would, you'd think would trip pastors up. Yeah. But at that point in my life, alcohol was the issue. It was the issue. Mm. So I was burnt out. I was exhausted and I didn't know it. High levels of anxiety, extreme levels of depression, managing it with copious amounts of alcohol. Uh, the marriage was was under the pump. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, I was having um, – yeah, I was having massive mood swings. So yeah. That's what burnt out looked like for me. Yeah, and when I tough. stepped out of it, um, yeah, I just collapsed in a heap pretty much. But I had a son who just entered the world, so I had to provide for the family. And um, that's when I went into sales, which probably wasn't a great move because it's still a high-pressure environment. Um, but at least I guess it was removed from that situation. You exactly. Know? Like it's, exactly. Foxtel sales is quite different to yep. being the pastor of a small church, yep. I imagine. So definitely high pressure. But I'm guessing you'd be able to switch off a bit from what you were doing. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. Well. 
So that's what burnt out, burnout looked like. Yeah, me. okay. And mate, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't reading my Bible. Mm. I wasn't praying much. I wasn't going to God and saying, "Hey, I'm, I'm battling here. Give me the strength that I need to do this," which is what really we should do. Yeah. When we're up against a wall, um, and I know that doesn't always happen. You know, there's times even now when I'm faced with a challenge, and instead of being, you know, instead of God being the first thing that I go to. You know, I'm boom, running ahead, relying on my own strength and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just a, it's a recipe for disaster. But I've learned those lessons mm. over the years. Um, not to say I, I do it perfectly. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, look, so Foxtel support work. Then I went to Cleveland Baptist as a pastor. Um, and then, yeah, look, just to kind of, you know, speed the story up for you. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, when the Canterbury Bulldogs... Okay. were involved in that incident at Coffs Harbour in 2006 or seven. I think it might have been 2007. Um, so I don't know if you remember what the, was incident. the incident. No. So a couple of them were caught. Um, they pretty much raped a, a female. Yeah. Oh, I think I do. Yeah, remember that. Yeah, yeah there, there were a number of them involved yeah. in yeah. it. It was a massive scandal. And you know the the, the public outcry was was huge, and rightfully so. Mm. And you know it was. I just remember watching it on the news one day, and I just remember thinking, well, "What the heck is going through their mind? Do they not know that what they're doing is illegal? It's unacceptable. Like, how do they not know that?" Mm. And then, in what seemed like a minute uh, or a moment, I just I just felt this prompt to be a part of the solution. Yeah, wow. And, uh, and that was to um, provide what I called back then, and it never took off, but a, a character coaching program. Okay. That was what I called it back then. Yeah. And um, Aimed at sports. Yeah, sports aimed at people. athletes, helping athletes who are in, um, you know, uh, influential positions um, to develop character with the hope that it was going to set a good example for mm -hmm. the rest of community um, because we all know elite athletes are extremely influential. For sure. Some are given the, the title role model, um, yeah. whether it's fairly or unfairly. That, that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Um, but I just, I just felt, oh, I'm going to get involved in this. So I started thinking and praying about that and um, there's probably a whole nother podcast and how I went from there to then being the welfare manager at the Broncos. Yeah. But I can say that the steps along the way from that were um, I was a chaplain at a semi-professional rugby league club, a voluntary one, and then I became a voluntary chaplain at the Broncos. And then from there, uh, I was offered a full-time position, firstly in their community department at the Broncos, and then a full-time position as the player welfare officer yeah, yeah. at the Broncos. So all of that, you know, when I, that 2007, to my first full-time gig at the Broncos in 2013, January 2013. Yeah, that was that was the time frame. Awesome. I don't want to dwell on that too much. As you said, there's a whole other podcast in there. But that that time where you're sitting on the couch watching that, I'm guessing it was on the news about the Bulldogs, the scandal, and you had that, you know, idea, I'm guessing, to – or not more of a, a – or just a conviction, yep. almost yeah. to say, yep. I want to be a part of this solution. I think that what I struggle with and what a lot of people struggle with is how do you then, did you have any way of sort of testing that conviction? You know what I mean? Like I, I feel like I have I have ideas through, constantly through my head 
but it's about then going which one should I run with which yeah. one should I not run with yeah what did that what did that look like for you in that situation yeah like when it comes to ideas and um, you know whether they're personal or professional um, or spiritual when it comes to ideas um, you know for me I think there's 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 two important things that need to be in place before you pursue that idea. Uh, I reckon firstly is the resources to pull it off. Yeah. And secondly, it's a uh, clearly defined time frame um, that you'll give yourself to use those resources to determine whether or not there is an interest there or a need there. Yeah. So someone comes to me and says, you know, I want to do this. What do you reckon? I'll say, well, what do you have to make that happen? Do you have the gifts and the abilities? Do you have the, the, the practical physical resources? You got those things? Sweet. Yeah. Um, and then you can ask other things like, who's your target audience? Who are you going to approach? Well, where's this going to happen? All that kind of jazz. But then more importantly, I'll say, how much time are you going to give this? You got to draw a line in the sand somewhere. That's key. And you, yeah, I believe so. And you've even alluded to it yourself yeah. with this podcast stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and in that time frame, you're looking just for two or three small wins. Yeah. And if you get them, then you can extend the time frame. And as long as you're hitting the wins, um, I think you can keep keep extending it to the point where you either think this isn't going to get any bigger, uh, bigger, or it's not going anywhere. Or it becomes your dream, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. So that's that's a very nutshell version of how I deal with ideas. Yeah. But for me personally, you know, when I saw that, you know, that incident at, at uh, Coffs Harbour with the Canterbury Bulldogs, um, I was like, all right, what does it mean to car- uh, to develop character? You know, what, what makes good character? Mm. So I came up with, I think it was like four or five topics that I thought I could speak into, you know, provide a, a seminar on that'd be filled with activities and a little bit of assessment at the end and all that kind of jazz. All those different learning styles that we were talking about before yeah. came into it. Yeah. So it wasn't just a straight up seminar, you know, there'd be you know, a bit of role play, some video, some interactive Q&A, um, some content delivery, you know, some stuff to take away, the whole thing. Yeah. So um, I thought, all right, character coaching, what makes good character? Those five things, sweet. Create a program, an mm. educational program that accommodates different learning styles. And then I branded it. So I um, I actually called the program Tackling Life. Okay. And um, very, very clever. Yeah, yeah. I thought so too. <laughs> and I invested into it. Yeah. You know, I, I think I invested about 500 bucks into it. So yeah. I got a cool logo happening. And um, created just like a little brochure, yeah. you know, an overview of the program, what was included in it, uh, what what can be expected, and then I just started spruiking the thing, man. Yeah, nice. So I, and this is this is the other thing when when you're talking about you know wanting to get involved in professional sport, the number of people that have gone and knocked on the door of a professional sporting club saying, "Hey, give me a job, mate," yeah. they're in the thousands. Yeah. Everyone's done that, and they want to do that. The chances of uh, you know, a CEO or a head coach going, yeah, all right. I got no idea who you are. I don't know what floats your boat. So yeah, come on in. It's <laughs> yeah. a full time job, man. That doesn't happen. Yeah, all right. Pretty the, rare. It's very yeah, rare. If at the all. way to go from being a couch coach or a couch potato to mentoring the captain of the city's most well known sporting team is doing what I've already said. But then it's 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 starting somewhere on the pathway and more so at the start. So I went to a local 
junior sporting club. Yeah. Start there. Yeah. And I went to the CEO, the president, and I said, hey, you know what? I've got this program I'd love to offer you. I'm going to give it to you for free. All I want to do is identify a team that you think could use it and make local junior sporting clubs. They'll take all the help they can get in regards to partial care, well-being, all that kind of Definitely. stuff. Start there. Yeah. Capture it all on film, on uh, photos, increase your, your hype material, yeah. if you know what I'm saying. Well, it's like that um, you're, you're proving the concept as well. Absolutely. You, you've Absolutely. got to – it gives you, I'm guessing as well, when it would give you the confidence as well to go, actually, I want to a, I want to something here. Yeah, you know, Because if the if the local cl- um, clubs go, we don't need you, you're an idiot sort of thing. Yeah. Then I don't think that the Broncos are going to do that. Definitely, you know? <laughs> definitely, so, yeah. So that's it. It's a good, good strategy for anything, really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And and I was also strategic about the club that I chose because um, when I say pathway, you know, start at the bottom of the pathway. Mm. So I went with a club. So I went with a club that fed into a semi-professional club. Yeah. And that semi-professional club fed into a professional club. So, for example, in Brisbane, I'm like, all right, if I'm going to, if I'm going to get involved in the world of rugby league, and I was a basketball player, right? So I just, I just felt convicted about rugby league. Yeah. So I said, all right, I'm in Brisbane. What team do we have in Brisbane? It's a no-brainer. We've only got one. Yeah. Brisbane Broncos. Exactly. How am I going to get in there? All right. Tackling life, character development, what makes good character, branded, brochure, where am I going to start? I went to a junior club that fed into one of the feeder clubs for the Broncos. So mm. it was a pathway. Local club offered it voluntarily, packaged it, uh, as you said before, proved the concept. And then those in that club have contacts with those in the club that they feed into. Yeah. So you use that. It's then, smart. Yeah, I, I reckon so. Yeah. Then I go to the next club and say, hey, you know, I've been doing this at this club here. They're one of your main junior feeders. I think it'd be great. Um, and, um, you know, I know you've got players here who are aspiring to go to that level. You know, the investment you're making into them now by way of coaching and scholarships and all of that, you want to protect that. You don't want to, you know, spend 10, 12 years developing them for the NRL. Yeah. They get there and then blow it because they were a part of a six-man six situation at Coffs Harbour. Yeah. I said, man, just l- l- let me help out, you know. Yeah. Um, I'll do stuff for free. Here it is. I'm happy to pitch to your board, you know, whatever. Yeah. And lo and behold... That worked. Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm now mixing and mingling with people who have connections to yeah. the Broncos. And that's so key is that um, there's such a huge difference between a cold, like a cold introduction and a warm introduction. You Definitely. Know? Like it goes so I, I far. I like that, actually. Yeah. yeah. And if you've got people that are have seen what's happened, they're champion, championing what you're doing. Yeah. And that, that would have gone a long way. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Now, on the other side, there was another journey going on where, you know, being a pastor and uh, wanting to be a pastor in the world of sport as well. Um, so I had kind of like this professional pursuit, but also a pastoral pursuit as well. Yeah. And along the side of that, I was going down the sports chaplaincy track. So I linked up with Sports Chaplaincy Australia at that point, and they were running these sports chaplaincy courses um, in Brisbane. And the state coordinator for Sports Chaplaincy Australia at that time, his name was Billy Hunter. He was the sports chaplain at the Broncos at okay. that point. And he had been the chaplain there since day one. 
Yeah, and still is. Uh, he's got some. Other, he's got another. What's young his guy, name? Billy Hunter. Billy Hunter. Billy Hunter. He's got another young guy helping him uh, from Hillsong at the moment. But Billy's still. He's still the man there. Um, and anyway, doing this course, I met Billy, and Billy and I hit it off. And Billy was saying that, you know, because um, he had the twenties had begun back then. Okay. And he's like, man, too much for me. I need a sports chaplain for the twenties. I'm like, man, you won't believe what I got going on in my heart at the moment. I said, man, you make it happen. I'm with you. I'll commit to it. You know, yeah, and um, yeah, he spoke to the under twenties coach at that time. His name was um, oh, what was his name? I've just had a massive, massive um, mental blank. That's my life. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Look, it doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter. I'm 42. People can Google it. Yeah, yeah they, they can. Yeah. Matt Wood. Matt Wood. Matt Wood yeah. is his name. And uh, yeah, he teed it all up. So I started doing uh, chaplaincy for the under-20 Broncos in 2009, I think it was. Okay. And back then, players like Dane Gagai. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jordan Kahu, Matty Gillette. Um, Benny Hunt, yeah, they were coming through there. Wow. Uh, Corbin and Tarek Sims were there as well. Um, who else was you know big names? Uh, Andrew McCulloch was coming through the system. Um, th- there was heaps. Yeah, and um, so I was doing chaplaincy then, and then doing the welfare stuff on the side, and eventually those two worlds collided. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. So what is what is um. When you say sports chaplaincy, or so you were the chaplain for the under twenties, what did that involve? Um, so practically, yeah, I'd go to uh, at least one training session a week with the aim of just building relationships, trust, rapport, all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, the overall objective of a sports chaplain uh, is to provide pastoral care during times of change, challenge, or crisis. And it heavily relies on the club utilizing that role mm. and referring people if a change, challenge, or a crisis comes up. So I'm not running skill sessions. I'm not running the strength and conditioning session. I mean, check me out. Um, <laughs> hey, you're pretty fit looking. I'm all right. I'm all yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I'm not running. Any, I'm not a part of the uh, the leadership group or anything like you know. A chaplain is on the outer, mm, big okay. time. All right. Um, so, yeah, look, it's just getting around, building relationships. And as you do, you become aware of what they got going on. They got girlfriends, kids, married, struggling with stuff. Like you just you just learn all of that through building relationships. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, you just offer care at the right times. And um, sometimes you get involved in christenings or dedications, depending which yeah. denominational hat I'm going to put on from yeah. one day to the next. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, weddings and funerals and all, there are opportunities for all that kind of stuff along the way. It's building relationships is your big thing. Hey? Definitely. You know, there's, there's, this, there's this understanding and it's a myth that sports chaplains have the ability to share the gospel every day Mm. And they get to run Bible studies with players every day and they get to, you know, they have all this influence. That that could not be further from the truth. Mm. Um, and in fact, uh, it takes a, a sports chaplain years to get some kind of momentum. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they, they don't travel with the team. More often than not, they're not even given a polo. Yeah. Um, you know, th- there's this myth around sports chaplains. The ones that are heavily involved and may travel once or twice throughout the year and are, you know, part of the furniture, they've been in the game for 10 years plus yeah. voluntarily. 
Um, and they would have made, you'd imagine, relationships not just with the players but the staff and definitely, coaches definitely. Who, who then in order can make those decisions to, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. They're, they're the doorkeepers. They're the gatekeepers. Yeah. you got to get on side with the coach, with the, the staff members, all of them. Yeah. Because they can make your life easy or hell. Yeah. You know, for me, being a chaplain and then a staff member at the Broncos, the hardest part for me was actually not the players. That was the easy part. Yeah. It was actually the staff. Yeah. Um, because, you know, uh, for for a wide range of reasons. Yeah. And um, to be quite honest with you, I left the Broncos because of that. Yeah. Um, so. You just felt like you were running, running into the wall kind of thing a lot. Yeah. Like it's, those that run an NRL club are, are all mates. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all old boys. They've been in the game for years and, and all that. And, and um, yeah, this is actually a, a topic for another time because yeah, it's, it's like a long a one. Podcasts, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, forget other people. Let's do a series. Yeah, man. let's do it. But um, yeah, like I, mate, to, to be honest, I didn't feel like I was a part uh, of the staff at any point during. Yeah, that would have been tough. During. Yeah, the way people get a, a full time gig in a club of that nature is you've been in the game for years. Your best mates with someone who works there, or excuse this description, you're sleeping with someone yeah. that's in that in that circle. Mm. It's the only way you're going to get in. Yeah. For an absolute random to be sitting on a couch watching the news, you know, in 2006, to then you know be a full time member of staff and had no relationship or contact with any of them at any point along the way prior to my pursuit, um, in my opinion, is only of God. Yeah, and it's, that's incredible. Yeah, it's man. Yeah. And I do look back on it and uh, and, and I'm, I'm going to write a book on this one day. Yeah, yeah. I've been talking about writing this book for about two years. Well, maybe you can, you can come back on the podcast and we can promote your book. To the well, that's hundreds the- of millions of people that will be listening. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, you, you'll, it'll, that'll be true. Yeah. It'll happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, the, and just to be clear, the book's not going to be about, you know, uh, career development, you know, how to take a career idea or a ministry idea and turn it into a career. Uh, it's, it's actually about sports ministry. Yeah. You know, how do you sport to build relationships with the community for the sake of telling them about Jesus? Mm. That's what the book's about. Yeah. Um, so that's another podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And then so moving from, from that, because what are we at now? Bro. Yeah, we're going to have to wrap it up soon. <laughs> um, I didn't think we'd be able to talk for this long. You're an interesting man. Hey, you're easy to talk to. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's, that's a plus for the first <laughs> yeah, <that's>... one. <laughs> I'm glad you gave me that feedback. So um, hopefully I'm somewhat easy to listen to. Um, <laughs> yeah, otherwise we're in real trouble. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? So... Moving from there, so I just wanted to touch on this as well because I, I don't know much about this either, so we don't have to spend too much time. But you do, and I've, I know this because I've seen it on Facebook, the place where all knowledge and wisdom is found. Absolutely. Um, you also do something on the side with Darius Boyd. Yeah. And I'm probably going to get the details wrong here. Go for it. But it's called Battling the Blues. That's it, man. So tell us about that. What's going on there? Because that's... Almost my extent of my knowledge on that. Yeah, cool. Uh, In a nutshell, uh, I was the player welfare officer at the Broncos when when Darius was released from a mental health facility 
and came to the Broncos. So he he landed at the end of 2014 yep. in preparation for the 2015 season. Uh, Darius and I um, hit it off very quickly. So knowing his journey, club gave me very clear instructions to get with him as soon as he arrived and uh, look at the plan that he has post-mental health facility. And we did that and we actually have very similar backgrounds. Um, and anyway, I my job was to help him implement the plan that he got from the mental health facility, make sure he got healthy, stayed healthy and was ready for the 2015 season. Um He'll tell you that I played a huge role in that, yeah. um, maybe the biggest role. Um, but because I worked so closely with him, um, yeah, we developed a pretty good relationship, a personal and a professional one. Then as the year went on, 2015 was a great year, man. Good it year. It was a great yeah. year. Yeah. It's got, it got to be one of my favorite years uh, of awesome. my life. Um, and obviously, we went to the grand final. We didn't win it. Uh, but Which it was, was it? Was that against Cowboys? Cowboys. Yeah. yeah. Was that the one where there was a penalty kick at the end or something? No, it was the one where Ben Hunt dropped the ball oh, yeah. uh, yeah. on the yeah. kickoff. Uh, and then, no, sorry. It, it, it was the year when um, Kyle Felt scored in the corner as the hooter went off to tie the game. Yes. And then JT missed the conversion, missed the conversion. from the sideline. Yeah. Hit, yeah, he missed the conversion. We went to extra time and then Ben Hunt dropped the ball off the restart, off the kickoff, and then turned it over and then JT kicked the field goal to win it. That was that year. I remember sitting at Gateway after the service watching that and um, I've never seen Charlie. We both know Charlie. <laughs> Charlie's Charlie. so angry. <laughs> he wouldn't talk to anybody. It was hilarious. I don't think I've ever stopped giving him crap about That's it. That's funny. <laughs> hey, look, that was – I hadn't experienced anything like the, the emotional experience I felt when that hooter went off and Kyle Felt scored at exactly the same time was – I have not felt anything like that ever. Anyways, um, that was a good year. Yeah. Darius and I formed a really good relationship that year. But one of the things Darius was asked to do or encouraged to do on the outside of the facility – uh, was to actually give back. Okay. So it was to get out into the community. Uh, it was to share his story. It was to be a good role model, all that kind of stuff. And he was up for that challenge. Yeah, good. So um, uh, he asked me, he's like, I, I, I want you to do things. I want you to organize things for me. So I started getting him involved in the community in 2015. And being a communicator and an educator, tackling life, preacher, all that kind of stuff, uh, I helped him shape a a seminar slash workshop that he could do in junior footy clubs. And it was called, oh, actually, sorry, it wasn't called Bally in the Blues then, um, but it was about mental health. Yeah. So he did that, provided a lot of coaching and support, and he just got better and better and better. More opportunities came, word of mouth spread, and it just got really big. And then along the way, he ended up filming a documentary for the ABC called Battling the Blues, and that's where we got the name. So we married that doco with the uh, – with the workshop together, yeah, cool. and it was the 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 the, the seminar is pretty much using excerpts from the doco, some evidence based material which I de- which I deliver, so yeah. we co deliver. Yeah, awesome. And I deliver the evidence based material because I'm trained to do that. Yeah, and then I engage him through Q and A techniques and storytelling. Yeah, and um, 
Yeah, mate, it's been a hit. So we started at schools and then sporting organizations and then it's gone into the corporate world as well. Uh, we backed off on it this year because I left the Bronx and, and my role as a pastor at Gateway is my primary function. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we were doing it at Energex and a few other places and it's it's taken off. And him being who he is, um, yeah, he's he's had lots of other opportunities to do that on his own. And now that he's got, you know, the program and, you know, I've coached him to speak and he's got some other coaching along the way as well. He's loving it. He's yeah. doing a really good job at it. That's he's making great. a huge difference. And it's all about encouraging help seeking. Yeah. So we're not diagnosing people no. or treating them, but we're simply, um, you know, encouraging help seeking behavior and reducing stigma. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Um, what's the, uh, like the... It, it ain't weak to speak kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it, right. it's such a big, the stigma side is, um, yep. it's massive. I was in um, talking to one of my coworkers uh, last week, and even then, like we'd, you know, I'd known that he was battling with something for a while now, and but the, just the, the, it was so hard, you could see it was so hard for him to open up, and I didn't push, try to push him or anything, but even then you could still see that there was such a stigma around that, you yeah. know, like, and yeah. and I'm not an expert on anything, I wasn't trying to, I was just trying to talk to him as a mate, pretty much, Yeah. but even then it was, yeah. you know, so if we can kind of break that, yeah. break that stigma, which is exactly what you guys are doing with yeah. that, you know, health, right. um, self what did you call it? Self-help. Help, uh, help-seeking behavior. Help-seeking behavior. Mm. That's, the, that's the key, isn't it? Yeah. Because without that, you can't do anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And when you got someone like a Darius Boyd or, or someone of that level, yeah. but in any industry, um, sharing their own struggles and acknowledging they needed help, um, man, that's massive stigma yeah, sure. stuff. Especially because you alluded to it um, earlier and we talked about saying it was going to be in another podcast, but like sportsmen, sports people, sorry, not just sportsmen, and uh, celebrities, people like that, we put them on such a pedestal. Mm. And yeah, I think especially in the nowadays with social media and stuff where you look at someone's life and go, they've got it all together, why don't I? Yeah. If if you can have someone like Darius Boyd who, yeah, a lot of people would look up to and go, you know, that that person's at the at the peak of his sport. Yeah. For him to talk about his struggles and things. That'd be massive. Yeah. That's so good. It is. He, he's a good dude, man. He's a really good yeah. dude. Yeah. That's awesome. Look, I think we better wrap up. Let's wrap the sucker up, yeah, man. I'm hungry. Wrap. Yeah, me too. I was trying to figure out why am I not feeling well? It's because I need a burger or something, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> then Real it made me some like green shake this morning and nothing against green shakes, but it has not hit the spot. <laughs> I'd rather be fat than healthy. No, full than healthy, not fat. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that prophecy might come true one day if I keep talking like that. Could do. But anyway, thanks so much, mate, for being on the the first guest. Yeah, boy. Yeah, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to having you back on now to talk about some of those topics. And um, really stoked of what you've been doing. And I um, I hope that all these all these parts of your journey are now coming together. It's awesome to see them coming together. That you're doing incredible things with. Your work here at um, Gateway Redlands, yep. Redlands Coast, yep. and uh, <laughs> and with what you're doing in the in the sporting community still, although not as much. But I, um, yeah, really stoked for you. So thanks again, man. All good. And thanks for uh, me. that's it from us. See you guys later. <laughs>